So Karen, we're doing something that we often say we're going to do and we actually almost never do. What's that? Well, we always say we're going to record and broadcast from, not broadcast because it's delayed, but record at a conference when we go to these conferences. And we lug the equipment around, usually you, sometimes me. We sometimes, have, we have done it in the past. But we've never we really recently, done a Well, that's not true. We recently uh, published the show where we interviewed Allison at Libra Planet. Ah, but we did not record the whole show. We recorded just the interview. What I'm talking about is recording oh, the whole show. Oh, I see. Getting together at a conference I and recording see. a show. And here we are. Here we are. In a squatted room at Oscar. Kind of amazing, considering how busy we both have been this conference. And we actually, a little earlier today, did an interview here at the conference. Yes, it was today. And we have a recording of that interview. We do. We interviewed Jim Zemlin. Uh, who uh, is the executive director? Is that his title? I think that's his title, his title of the Linux Foundation. And let me set up this clip. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I can set up this clip. So we yesterday here at OzCon had a session that covered the various fiscal sponsors and organizations where projects. By we, um, Bradley means Bradley had a session and Jim Zemlin participated in it. I participated by being in the audience. That's true, but we, as, as the collective we, as, as this community. So I, I've learned from Simon Phipps. I just, when we recorded. I've learned, I've learned from Simon Phipps, you just say we all the time, <laughs> and it makes people think that, they're, that, that you're more in charge of more things than well, you are. Well, in the interview, you said the same kind of vague we about the panel, and I just didn't want people to be confused whether I was on the panel or not. That's true. And I, I, I actually typically avoid uh, ambiguous uses of we mm. and other first-person plurals. But... Uh, I've been well, playing with we it all today. wear a lot of hats, and so it's I've tough been, to yeah, say well, we because it gets very sloppy. And and people abuse and manipulate that sloppiness. They certainly very do. Very often. And yeah. I try to avoid that, but today I've kind of been in the abuse of the first person plural <laughs> kind of mood. So I've done a lot of it today, but uh, and you'll hear some of that in this interview that we're about to listen to from Jim Zemlin and Karen and I doing a little interview of him about his work at the Linux Foundation and what the Linux Foundation is doing that relates to what our listeners are interested in. We try to keep the discussion in that realm. Here you go. So Karen, we're here at OzCon doing hopefully a few interviews and right I know where we are. Yeah, well, our <laughs> listeners don't. So, uh, so yesterday we had a session where we introduced uh, the audience to various different nonprofit organizations that are available for projects to affiliate with and get uh, various services from. And, and you were the moderator, Bradley. I, I was, and I also presented Conservancy, uh, which I've heard, which our listeners have heard a lot about in the past. But also on the panel uh, was Jim Zemlin. I tricked him by telling him it was a keynote, uh, right. and uh, he came. <laughs> And, uh, and he talked about the Linux Foundation. We have Jim here to tell us a little bit about how, and we want to get a little geeky about nonprofity stuff because that's what our listeners are into. This and is so, what we do. All right. <laughs> so, so and, and you run, and our listeners are very, from, much more familiar with the C3, 501C3 stuff than the 501C6 because obviously Karen and I run C3, we so we tell about them about it. We talk about it incessantly. Yeah, but you're about the C3s and C3s. We do. Yeah, yeah, we, our listeners love this stuff. We so, even have episodes yeah, where we walk through our 990, which would be really, yeah. really boring yeah, to most like people. Reading text documents. They, they, these are the kind of listeners we have, Jim. And so why don't you tell them awesome a little bit. Awesome listeners. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> why don't you tell them a little bit about uh, like what you see is the difference between a 501C3 and a 501C6? Well, the Linux Foundation is a, a C6 mm -hmm. nonprofit. 
and the tax code in the United States is extremely complicated. Mm -hmm. Anybody who goes and actually reads through the code, and this has been a subject of you know people who want to see tax reform and simplification, and particularly when it comes to nonprofit organizations, it's complicated. But I've read the code, and I think the easiest way to think about it is that a C6 is twice as good as a C3. How's that? Well, because the Linux Foundation is a C6, <laughs> and you see three times two, that's six. Twice as good. <laughs> you delivered it so straight. I thought you were serious. Okay, so so, but um, but the, the key the key difference, and, and we don't have to get too much into the details. Key differences uh, that that, I, that we're always telling our listeners is five one C threes are focused on some general benefit for the public good, and C6s yeah. are primarily focused on helping an industry, which, which I think is right. something it's, you've it's done a great job. It's actually a common business interest. Right. So defining that industry or that common business interest can be a little tricky. Um, Wait, we, so we can't be for the public good? No, I don't think that's <laughs> correct. I, I think I think it's it's really a question of mandates. So I'm so, joking. Of yeah. course, we right. indeed you do, and that's the work I think, we do in public good. And I think that's I mean I think the the Linux Foundation does a lot in the public good, but but the primary purpose and the sort of what the IRS is expecting to do is at the very least uh, make sure that a common business interest is. Uh, Upheld and pushed forward. So, so why don't you talk about what we the, like to think we do even more? And you do even more. And anywhere, <laughs> yeah, yeah. of course, anywhere can do even more. And and, and so, but what, uh, but why don't you sort of explain for our listeners what the kind of business, common business interest that Linux Foundation is focused on? Well, we also are focused on the public good. Indeed, to be clear. So yeah, I agree completely that, that you guys are operating both in the public good and uh, in the, as a trade association to help the industry. Uh, so why don't you talk about some of the, like how, how does Linux Foundation do that when it wants to act both to help the public good and to help the industry? Well, you know, when I think about what we do, the thing that I think about the most, the thing that, you know, is important to me is how to sustain an effort like this for a very long period of time, you know, 50 years, 100 years. And I, I often think... We're next to the elevator. Yes. Yeah, you can have an image. So, you know, how do you sustain this for 50, 100 years? I often think of a, a quote that uh, Evan Moglin, uh, a statement that Evan Moglin made at our 20th anniversary event, which is he described Linux and open source free software as the coal and steel of the information age. Uh, and rather than being owned by the Carnegies or you know, anyone like that, it's owned by all of us. And that's just so important, right? And what we do is try to build an organization that can sustain you know, Linux and the other projects that we work on for a long, long, for, for after I am gone, you know, after we're all gone, for, so that that coal and steel remains shared. I think that is really important. That's what we think about all the time. And that, and that's kind of, I mean, I think one of the things when you compare it to organizations like Gnome Foundation and Software Freedom Conservancy, because uh, you've said before that, that it's good to have all of us and it's important that we have all these different orgs. The thing I see you doing really well at Linux Foundation is being able and prepared to handle larger projects that a large number of companies want to get together and work on. Mm -hmm. And so, and so, I, I I'd love to hear more about how, how you do it because you've done a lot of those kinds of things. You've done like Open Mama and Open Daylight. So, talk about the process of how you end up with a project like that. Yeah, I mean, it's great to see that we even have these type of large scale collaborations that people are wanting to invent collectively under a free software license and 
business as well as individuals see it as a better way to innovate, a f better, faster, cheaper way to get to market. I mean, you know, 20 years ago, it wasn't so. You know, it wasn't companies that were starting these kind of projects. It was, you know, a guy in his dorm room in Helsinki, right? Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's a great turn of events. Um, you know, what, what we see now is large organizations, industries, in some cases individuals will come to us and say, you know, I don't need to be convinced anymore that working together on, let's say, uh, a software-defined networking controller or low latency middleware technology, if you're the financial service industry, I don't need to be convinced that collaborating with my competitors and business partners is a good idea. What I need to know is exactly how you do it. Which license should I pick? What kind of you know governance structure for the project can I use that will allow for me to, with integrity, interact with my competitors, right? How, how do I assure a neutral playing field? This is something that free software and open source projects have been sort of the existence proof of. How do you get you know, the fiercest competitors to work together uh, in an open and transparent way? And, and that's what really all of these projects that we're working on are all about. Albeit at somewhat large scale. Well, and that's what amazes me. Right? Oh, I was just going to ask: Do these ever fall? I mean, do these initiatives ever fall apart at the early <laughs> at the early stages? Because what we the public sees are just the big projects that you well, that's the way to we make like incredibly it. successful. That's the way we like it. <laughs> um, you know, there's always going to be winners and losers in the technology industry. Mm -hmm. What's what's really interesting for me is that. You know, before you would have sort of open source versus proprietary, and would the proprietary guys beat out the open source guys, right? And and, and could sort of crush them, or you know, I remember those days where all of us yeah. were so concerned about, and, and legitimately so, right? About you know, proprietary incumbents who were you know, fud in the marketplace, legal channel, all these things. I'm still worried about those, but maybe I'm entirely out of But I think I, in some sectors you're so, right. So, some sectors so, you're right. So I, I, I agree, but mo but more importantly, in that, and I do agree that there's that that the, you it, it should always be something that's mm -hmm. important. I'm not trying to diminish that fact. I mm -hmm. think it's gotten better. Is my oh yeah, I think you're right. And what I mean by that is now it's not proprietary versus open source. It's competing open source initiatives. It's OpenStack versus CloudStack, right? It's, you know, becoming now a marketplace of, of all these different open source projects. Will some be more successful than others? Will some succeed where others fail? Probably. You know, I think that's going to happen. Uh, I like to think we can help the lion's share of the projects that we work with succeed, but I'm not going to claim that anybody's perfect and, you know, the technology industry changes so rapidly that you have to constantly be uh, adapting and, uh, you know, we think we can set any project up with the right ingredients for success. Uh, but, uh, you know, obviously, like anyone can't guarantee success. Right. And, and Conservancy is used to dealing with the projects uh, that are small, started in a basement type of thing. I mean, that's the, the kind of, of communities that uh, Conservancy tends to serve. Uh, and and uh, as far as funding and that sort of thing go, the smaller groups of developers. But you've done a good job at Lance Foundation serving these, these huge initiatives that if somebody were to come to me with $10 million and want to... The, Put money into a, into doing an open source initiative. I'd send them to you. It seems like you have 
really put together an org that can hit the ground running on that. So, so I, I don't know if you want to share any of your secrets, but sort of how, how do you how did you build up and as a management aspect, how do you get everybody together and get those things moving quickly? Because that's what a, a for profit industry is going to expect. They're going to expect they come to somebody like you and say, "You're going to get me moving fast, right?" Well, let's let's start with with. I think what again is a more historically important question, which is why are both our organization uh, organizations and Karen's organization, the Gnome Foundation, the Software Reasonable Service, or the Linux Foundation, why are they all important? Mm-hmm. And I think if you look at historically, there's been two forms of collaboration in the tech industry for a long period of time. There was the standard setting bodies, the ISOs, IEEEs, the W3Cs. These are extremely well equipped, well funded, uh, well respected organizations. Uh, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you had you know open source developers who were sort of working out of, to use your words, their basements or the dorm room, you know, and sort of you know they had a bug tracker and a mailing list, mm-hmm. uh, an IRC. What's interesting is now you see organizations like all of ours, which are you know professionally organized places where people can come and set up a infrastructure to do broad scale collaboration. You know, whether it's a really big project at the Linux Foundation or a smaller project at the Software Freedom Conservancy, I think they're all equally important. The other thing that I would add, when I look across all of these organizations, and I would even say to you, Bradley, or, or to anyone, don't think small. Mm-hmm. That that dorm room project could be the next Linux. Oh, and, right? and indeed, and there are conservancy projects that we have that are that become huge. We have the PyPy project, which has become this big thing in the Python community. We didn't know it when they joined that they were going to be sure. the flavor of the month. Um, but I think what what what, I, what I'm really interested in is how Linux Foundation has succeeded in these hit the ground running large projects. Because you've done a few of them now. You've done Open Mama. Yeah. You're doing Open Daylight. Like, I, I, I mean, I, I think you don't want to share your secrets. Is what it is. You don't want to tell us like <laughs> like how you pull that off because it, it's impressive when it, when I see when you know I went to see your Open Daylight. Announcement. I'm like, this thing is there. There's a there there in a matter of weeks. Uh, that's pretty or, impressive. Or was it not a matter of weeks? And we only saw <laughs> yeah, a we didn't really saw the, the tip so of the iceberg. I, think, I don't. I don't think there's any secret because when I looked at all the different organizations here at OSCON yesterday that uh, discussed how the Apache Software Foundation or the Eclipse Foundation or the Software Freedom Conservancy operate, what services they provide for projects in terms of an IP regime, in terms of governance, in terms of you know all of the business infrastructure to them, they're all very similar. Um, and so I don't think that's a, a, a huge, huge secret in terms of how to set up the, the nuts and bolts of, of what we do. What I spend a lot of my time doing it, it is not necessarily setting up the project uh, but it's um, going to a business executive in an industry that may not be familiar with free software or open source development that may not understand that collaborative development is a better path for them business-wise and explaining the, the business case for it. Let me give you an example. We have a, a project called the Automotive Great Linux Initiative, right? Now you look at the, the automotive industry. This is an industry that is conservative, right? Because they have long production cycles, they have, uh, they're regulated, they, you know, the impact of a mistake in the auto production process can be, you know, hugely 
expensive. We're by the water fountain. <laughs> yeah, this is the loudest water <laughs> fountain I ever heard. Yeah. In fact, spot. actually, there's a couple of other podcasts where they talk about how at the conferences you always end up interviewing by the bathrooms. But this is the first time we we are by the bathrooms, but we're also by this loud water fountain. But I think it's uh, I think it's done now. So, but let me, so we'll try to edit that out. Go ahead. But let me be clear on on so with with the automotive industry, conservative industry, right? Their biggest competitor right now is a iPad and a piece of Velcro that people affix to their dashboards essentially mm -hmm. and you know rather than using the navigation system and the entertainment system inside a car they're using just that that iPad in other words the automotive industry is now competing with the computing requirements of the consumer electronics industry so how should they compete how do they react right and the business case that we've made to them, successfully I might add, if you look at members of the automotive great Linux initiative, you've got Toyota, the world's largest car maker, you know, Jaguar Land Rover, the kind of car I wish I could afford. <laughs> uh, but you have, you know, this tremendous group of companies who now understand that they can compete effectively with the consumer electronics industry if they take advantage of the billions of dollars of free software out there that they can harness for the underlying operating system, middleware components, the UI frameworks. I mean, there's lots of GNOME technology these folks are using. There's just tons of great free software they can use. And they focus on how to take advantage of the car as a unique user experience, how to take advantage of the sensor network within a car, which contains hundreds of different inputs from the tires to the rear camera to you know all the outside and indoor temperature all of these different things uh, rather than focus on building a new kernel or building a new set of middleware I spend a lot of time explaining how the business case works how they can integrate open source and free software into their product development process how to in that product development process upstream code to the mainline projects so they don't have to maintain a forked code base over time right you know because the whole reason they're doing this is to collaborate Th that's where i spend a ton of time because what that results in is getting more code out into the open because we've reached this incredibly cool moment in history where business interest and social good which we kind of started with in this conversation align Right? It's, it's not only good for Toyota to use Linux and free software because they can build more advanced, better products for their customers, but it's good for everyone because this is a shared asset that betters society. And that's, it's cool to be right. a part of that. I mean, I think it's interesting. The GNOME Foundation operates under you know, sort of similar principles, and we, we come at it from the C3 perspective, not the C6 perspective, and it's still, we rely on the corporate, you know, the corporations that uh, use GNOME technologies to keep the foundation alive. And so the community is very C3-based community, very charity-based community, but at the same time, we've got this corporate component. But I want to know is how do you balance, during that discussion with these companies, how do you balance the um, the explanation, sort of the sell of free and open source software is that you're going to save money in the long run, that this is sort of a sane and appropriate business model to approach. How do you balance that with the explanation that you still have to pony up some money to keep these mm -hmm. things going and to develop them properly? Yeah, I mean, so saving money is important, but I think it's it's getting to market quicker and innovating at higher levels that's mm -hmm. more important to these companies. I, th I don't think the money matters as much to mm -hmm. a lot of these firms. What they really care about is, if I'm building my own kernel, I'm not building my advanced user experience, right? If I, you know, if I'm Netflix and I'm building, you know, 
my own operating system, my own middleware, I'm doing all of this infrastructure by myself. I've spent all my money there. I haven't spent it on my you know, Emmy-nominated programming, which is what my customers... They are spending on their DRM, you know. <laughs> Netflix is a bad example to use with this crowd. You know fair, that, Jim. Fair, fair, fair enough. If only you could see some of those Netflix shows. They're awesome. <laughs> my wife watches them. I mean, really? admittedly. My house, they come into my household. Just, uh, just I, stay, I stay away. Fair enough. They are good. Are they available in any other format? No, no not really. I, okay. yeah, that's, like, I mean, that's actually something Netflix. But I, th Netflix I think the point is... Right, I think so the point is, is, your point is a good one, though. Instead of investing okay. in an OS, yeah, they're yeah. investing in advanced DRM. So yeah. I, will cede, I will cede my point. Uh, but but the, the broader point is, and you asked about how, how people see contributing back to the community financially or with code. The, 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 I'll take the, the latter first. The code contributions back to the community, this is what I spend a ton of time on. Making sure companies are clear. When you're working on using free and open source software, it is important to take your changes and get them back yeah. into the main line. Yep. Well, and actually, um, I, I know this, I, I can ask because I know a little bit about how, how it works because I've talked to, to Greg KH uh, that you work with uh, regularly about this. Sure. I mean, I've heard, uh, Greg sort of told me stories that I, I loved, I think our listeners would be interested to hear. You, you and he go into these companies the together. And Greg the and Jim, show. the Greg and Jim show, yeah. Yeah, and, the, and then you're sort of talking to the business executives and he's in there talking to the hackers. Tell us a little bit what those meetings are like because I think that's a wow. really in yeah. neat initiative that you guys do. Yeah, so we, um, you know, Greg's a fellow at the Linux yes, Foundation yeah, and when he came to the Linux Foundation, I told him like, <clears throat> you know, think of think of us, uh, Greg, and most importantly, he's like the, the artist, right? You know, see, he's the rock star in Linux, right? And let's think of uh, the companies that use this stuff as uh, the record labels, right? Um, you know, the, the record labels make all the money in the recording industry, right? <laughs> of course. How does the rock star make money? They go on tour. And so Greg and I created the Jim and Greg <laughs> show, right? We have to go on tour, we sell a few t-shirts and, but, but the, the, which is a funny way to think of it, but the important result that we get is we go into organizations and show them, they have an inkling that they need to, well, they're already using Linux and, and open source software, but they want to know how to integrate it into their production process, right? And most importantly, they want to understand how to uh, get their changes back into the main line. And so Greg's really effective at showing them at the timing, the need for the quality of those patches to be ones that, you know, aren't so exclusive to them that they can't be applied to anything else. And, and it's usually not a problem to show them that. It's, and it's certainly never counter to their business goals to do their development that way. I simultaneously talk to the business people to say, listen, the whole reason you're doing this, collaborating, is so that you can get products built better, faster, cheaper. If you don't contribute back to the mainline projects, you're defeating the whole purpose. Because then what you're doing is forking your code base, which you'll have to maintain by yourself over time. And you will never succeed at that because mm -hmm. Linux changes nine times an hour, 10,000 lines a day, right? You just, no single company sh could or should do that because it's just inefficient. And so we go all over the world uh, and talk to developers about how to work with the community, talk to business people about why they should allow their developers to work with the community, and it's pretty fun. I think I spent one day seven hours in a small Korean taxi driving all over 
uh, Korea with Greg, who's like six five. <laughs> <laughs> so that's I, mean, I think that's that's excellent work, and it's a great example I think for our listeners who are uh, uh, obsessed with this. You know, what do trade associations do? What do nonprofits do? It sounds like you guys are doing a, a full spectrum of work uh, to help uh, really promote uh, Linux and free software through a nonprofit. And so, um, so is there anything else? I, I, I want to know what's, what's coming down the pipeline from the Linux Foundation. What's coming down the pipeline? More Linux, for sure. You know, um, one of the things that we like to do is if we look across the pantheon of, uh, you know, the different technology sectors from embedded to consumer electronics to mobile devices to desktop and so forth, you know, we really want to reach out to those technologies that can become adopters. You know, 10 years ago, it was the telco industry where Sun and, and Solaris were really the incumbents, and we worked with that industry, and now Linux really completely dominates that. Today, it's the automotive industry, right? Tomorrow, I think it could be the, the, the wearable device industry, right? I think that's a new category of computing that's perfectly suited to using open source and free software to produce these wonderful products that can, can change our lives, can monitor our health conditions in real time, that you know uh, can use these billions of dollars of free software to build the devices and then concentrate on adding value by you know creating algorithms to make sense of all the data that's being connected in these wearables rather than the operating system that's in the particular wearable device that you're you've got on you. Algorithms so. that will be publicly available because they're free and open source software. Sure, which then be, patients if they can advocate and get their own data would be able to evaluate. Yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, more transparency is always better. So. I'm gonna start with I'm gonna start small, we'll get big. Yeah. So, um, so so Jim I wanna Thank you for, for you know, hiding in a corner with uh, with lots of elevator and uh, water fountain noise to talk to us on our little podcast here. And I think our listeners are really going to enjoy uh, what you had to say. Thanks a lot for Thank joining Thank you us. so much. Happy to do it. So interviewing Karen, uh, Karen interviewing Jim to me, if you, he, you know, Jim has a way of making it feel like it, you, you know, he's a big get. He's a big what? Get, you know, a like we got get? a big, a big, uh, big famous Jim Zumbler. He is very busy. It's true, he's very busy, but he has a, he has a, he has a, is a way of, of, about himself. Well, it's funny because in all of his talks, he's like, self-deprecation is a huge portion of his like public persona. True, true. So he always gives, uh, uh, he always gives talks where he, uh, he says that he has no control over you know, Linus Torvalds, and he says that, you know, he sometimes describes himself as, you know, not being that influential. And I think that, uh, given what, think, given what Linus has recently true. been saying on LKML, I think you want to admit that you don't have control over what that, what's happening there, to be honest. I think, I think that's just shrewdness on Jim's part to make it clear that it's not his fault, the kind of things that Linus says sometimes. Um, but I, I, think, uh, I think what might interest me, and the reason I asked him at the end about the stuff with Greg KH is Greg had told me about that work. And, and I think, it, I've often said the, the, the Linux Foundation is kind of what I would envision a trade association to really be for, for free software, or mm -hmm. open source since it's a trade association. Um, it, it really does the kinds Wait, of activities. What? Sorry. I missed that we, you're, what? you were saying that because it's a trade association. Well, because it's more business open focused. Source? Open source is the business. You know, term. this is another vague, weird well, open source is a terminology. Term. Yeah, okay, but it's a business uh, term. The point is, uh, Linux Foundation is a business oriented. All I'm trying to say, let's not debate that again because our going listeners to will be annoyed. It again. But I'll, just, I'll restate it's just so you so don't weird. have to. Thank you. 
Lance Foundation is clearly a business-oriented uh, adoption type of organization that's encouraging people to adopt the, uh, the yeah. software that we, mm -hmm. we love that is licensed freely. Adapt and develop. And develop, yes. Yeah. So, and, and, and I think that Linux Foundation is a really good example of what a trade association can do and how it can be helpful. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I, I think that a lot of the things that they focus on from, uh, you know, the like sort of that sales role that Jim was describing uh, where he and Greg go on the road to we didn't talk about the conference organizing, but that's mm -hmm. a big portion of, um, of what the Linux Foundation does as well, being a meeting place for these business entities to talk about, um, you know, the, their common business interest. Um, yeah, all that is is pretty classic trade association style work, okay. and I think they do a great job at it. And, and I actually do agree with Jim that that, he, and and this has sort of been a tenor of a conversation. There's, there's a number of things happening in the free software community right now that have there's certain memes going around that I think are, are, are inaccurate, and and people are just keep restating them to make them true. And one of those memes that I've heard this week in sort of the foundations thread, the nonprofits thread uh, that's happening at this conference because there was a tutorial uh, on Tuesday at OSCON and, and my session, is this idea that oh, there's real no difference between 501c6 trade associations and 503c 501c3 charities, and that conflation really bothers me. I'm with you. But yeah. I think I think Jim's point is good. Jim's point is actually good. Yeah, on that the C6 can also do things in the public good. But it's not required to. But that's it's not required the, to. That's the key. And I, and a lot and the other C6 leaders, uh, I've been in, in debates with them uh, just just this week here at OzCon about the issue because they want to say, well, then we're just like them. We're just like we're the same kind of thing. We're just trying to promote you know this, that, and the other thing. And there's really no difference in in, in how we operate. And I think that's that's kind of false. If you look at the salaries alone. The salaries alone. <laughs> And actually, I, it was funny, I, um, Paula Hunter, the Outer Curve Foundation, was making these really strong points about, oh, oh C6s are no different than C3s, really. And then when we had the session uh, at the tutorial about foundations on staffing, and um, she made the argument that this is a classic argument in nonprofits, actually, where people argue, should you pay matching for-profit wages to attract talent, or should you assume, uh, which I think is a correct assumption, that, that you'll attract talent at lower, you know, reasonable wages, but not not exuberant, not exorbitant wages, uh, because people care about the cause. Right. That's the thing about us, right? We take less money because we care deeply about the organizations yeah, you that and we're me. working for. By, yeah. uh, and, and, to, and to correct the first-person plural thing there, yes, you yes, mean us meant, as you I and me, the two of us, the two of us sitting here today, to get today together. Uh, and I think, uh, and, and Paul was making this point that you have to do that. And I said, well, that's not You'd really true. You have to pay true. us a lot more to work at a, <laughs> a trade association. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, I, and I pointed this out when Paula had said this that, that she had left out the point about the debate, and she actually answered that. Well, in a C6, it's different because you need professional marketing that can be focused towards business, which is that kind of talent's hard to draw. And that's actually, it was funny that she made my point for me, that yes, C6s are different. See how because, different they are? Yeah. Exactly, because they do, they do have to market to businesses. And that's sort of what I was getting to, was asking about, about what Jim's able to do. He's able to execute in a very for-profit-ish way. When, a great example is, is, I mean, Open Daylight, when it joined Lynx Foundation, it was very fast. Uh, and I know this from Phil Robb, who, who, who uh, helped, uh, you, you know Phil Robb as well, he, he, he moved from HP to Lynx Foundation mm -hmm. in part to help Open Daylight, and yeah. it was all executed very quickly. 
And that's something that a trade association can do when, when there's a, where there's interest and there's a hot uh, opportunity, they can they can capitalize on it. It's it's not that C3s can't do that. It's tougher for us to do that because the resources is hard for us to it's hard for us to marshal the resources to act quickly. Yep. And uh, and that's why Conservancy has a queue that takes a long time to get projects into Conservancy and so forth. And I know Gnome has a lot of things it wants to do that you move slower than you'd like yeah, on no, basically because of resources. That's absolutely that's absolutely right. Yeah. But we do the best we can. Right. And I, I think that's a, that's a key difference. But I, I, I think another point that I like that Jim made is, is he's, he, he, something that I said, we need all these different organizations and we need them to be established and last. Right. Well, every organization that was represented on that panel, um, you know, and then also GNOME Foundation, each of us fill a different role, a different niche. And being a C3 or a C6 is a different component, you know, is one piece of that puzzle. And so um, I, I have to uh, admit, I was so busy chairing that panel and getting it all coordinating because I had to put all the slides together. We didn't have transition time, so I had to I had to use LibreOffice, which I great the LibreOffice free software. It's I don't like GUIs, and everyone knows that. So, but it was the lowest common denominator. I thought everybody can handle it, well, except for for the, the Outer Curve Foundation preferred PPTX, but generally speaking, <laughs> um, everybody was okay with, that was a common denominator, because I don't do my slides in LibreOffice normally, but it, I, you know, it's, it's free software. And so, uh -huh. so I collected all the slides in LibreOffice, and I was like, even up to the last minute trying to put them together and dealing with the weird save issues I had in LibreOffice and stuff. So I forgot actually to whip out the recorder and actually record that session. Oh, okay. But um, what I'm gonna do is I will put the slides up in the show notes, oh, so great. people can at least look at the slides and see everybody who presented. And Jim, actually the reason, one of the reasons I wanted to interview Jim is he at the he asked to go last, uh, um, and so we decided we'll do it by alphabetical by last name. So <laughs> Jeff Devlin was indeed last, um, and 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 what he wanted to do because what he wanted to do was sort of summarize um, the 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 why all, why all these nonprofits were important. Uh, that's and, great. and I think that was great, and, yeah. and so and so that's why we that's one of the reasons I wanted to have Jim on the show so he could do that summary, and then you could look at the slides and see the different orgs, um, and obviously email us in with questions. Yeah, well, I have to say that I'm very. Um, I, I'm I'm always impressed with uh, with Jim as executive director of a trade association and um, as a, an executive director of an of an organization. Full stop. And I feel like I've actually learned quite a bit from him. Jim is the uh, is the best fundraiser I've ever met. To be yep. honest, <laughs> uh, maybe what I'm talking about in yeah. large part. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. amazing. Yeah, he's he's really good at that. And but part of that is just his ability to talk to people and to get you know to get these points across. Yeah. So it's it's largely fundraising, but it's also you know it's also doing the the meat of the work as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I can't come. I can't sort of like loud enough the the one two punch of him and Greg going around. And Greg has told me a lot about his work doing that. Mm. And and it Maybe really we should is, have Greg on the show. Yeah, we should have Greg on the show. But Greg's work doing that is is really for those who listen who haven't met Greg. Greg is Greg is a, is a rare find uh, as a developer, but particularly in the kernel Linux community. Um, he really can communicate to other developers and he's very didactic in the way he presents but not in a condescending way mm -hmm. he, he really will walk people through and that comes for I think that comes from his experience um, working on USB stuff and so many devices and trying to support devices and talk to so many people trying to get a device a USB device working with Linux uh, which is what he he spent many many years doing uh, just you, device after device, send me the device, I'll try to make it work. <laughs> and and I think that made him, uh, that sort of helped him, I think he already had natural talent towards it, but also it molded him into this person that can really walk technical developers through to understand how to participate in a development community. That's great. Uh, and yeah. Greg is not a doormat, I just, uh, I want to make clear, yeah, I do not believe Greg is a doormat. That, I don't find that either. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think he's, I, I think he's really, you know, one of the, the best personalities we have in working you know at least in Linux for sure yeah 
Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, he's. Are you saying all free software wide? Free software wide, he's yeah, a really good true, example. You know, I mean, I when he comes to, you know, GNOME Hackfest types events, you know, I just, you know, I, I'm always impressed with how he yeah. he interacts, and, and I think he's a good model to follow. And that, that phrase about Greg being a doormat, we'll uh, at this point we've mentioned this thread twice. I'll also, yeah. link to that thread in the show notes if you have not seen the thread where. Uh, I met Sarah the Sharp today for the <laughs> first time in person. Here. I've obviously talked to her a lot um, yeah. because uh, she's instrumental in having yeah. the um, the Linux kernel participation in the outreach program for women. Yeah, so folks uh, probably want to listen to, uh, read that thread and, and Which, understand what we're talking about. to wrap that, uh, to bring it all around, was uh, those spots were, many of them were funded by the Linux Foundation. Yeah, the, yeah. the outreach program for women spots for, for the Linux, Linux kernel. developers. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the, the kernel named Linux, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I hope you liked the interview, and um, thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody, and hopefully the show will be out quickly after OSCON. <laughs> we're going to try anyway. Freedom is produced by Dan Lynch of Pod Factory and can be found at podfactory.org. Thanks to Mike Tarantino for our theme music. This episode of Free as in Freedom is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 United States license. You can follow Free as in Freedom, Bradley, and Karen on Identica, and also read Bradley's and Karen's blogs. Links can be found on the Free as in Freedom website, faith.us. That's faif.us. Can we do that again? Yeah, I'll figure this out because it's... <laughs>